Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of the Environmental Protection Information Center. And joining me is Larry Glass, Executive Director of the North Coast Environmental Center. Well, not anymore. I thought it ended in December 31st. No, well, at the last board meeting, we hired Caroline to be the executive director. So I'm the board president and her advisor. Okay. Well, still a very important person, a VIP from the the North Coast Environmental Center, Larry Glass, also with Safe based out of Trinity County. And also joining us is Mary Goderud with Citizens for Sustainable Humboldt. Hi, Mary. Hi. Thanks, Tom, for having me on. All right, so we're talking about rolling meadows, which is one of our county's controversial cannabis grows. Let's let's try to first center people on where in the world we're talking about. Mary, you're a neighbor. You live in the community where this grow is operating. Where are we talking about here? Where in Humboldt County is rolling meadows? Well, McCann is a very small rural neighborhood, an unincorporated area. That's about seven miles east of 101, the South Fork Honeydew exit. And the access is dicey at best. Up to six months out of the year, there's a low-lying one-lane concrete bridge that floods from the main stem of the Eel River. And that's the, the main access. The project in question is further past the bridge, down me another two miles on a over 7,000-acre remote wildlands ranch. And the project spills across the landscape, proposed project, in four clusters of greenhouses for a total of 5.73 acres of mixed light cultivation in greenhouses that are between 17,000 and 20,000 square feet. And so it takes up quite a bit of the landscape or wood along the inner canyon, the main stem of the Eel River. So it's been a very controversial project from the get-go. It was a long time in being developed. The ISMND for the project was revised multiple times. It got continued when it was put before the Planning Commission a few times in 2020. And they finally, much to the objections of the community, the neighborhood, 1,979 petition signers, and the local volunteer fire protection district, Planning Commission approved this project in January of this year. And then the neighbors appealed that that approval. And on March 9th, that appeal was heard before the Board of Supervisors. And in a three to two vote, it was denied. The appeal was denied and the approval was upheld. Supervisors Bone, Bushnell and Bass voted for the project. Basically, they are denied the appeal and Madron and Wilson voted uh, against the project and that's kind of how it how it's developed since since then on April 8th I formed a nonprofit organization and I, I want to bring Larry in to to talk about why the North Coast Environmental Center and five other environmental groups were concerned about this project before it was approved and why you were advocating against its approval before the Board of Supervisors and the Planning Commission. Yeah, we were watching this along with you, Tom. In fact, I think maybe you were the one that brought it to greater focus for me. Uh, there was a whole bunch of these projects that were coming forward at the time. But this one definitely grabbed our attention because of its sheer size and its location in such a remote neighborhood. So we looked at the 
the issues, the environmental issues surrounding this. There was issues with golden eagles using this area. There was questions about the water that was going to be required for the size of this project. And the clear disdain that the neighbors had for such an industrial project coming into their neighborhood got our attention. And we decided with so many of these big projects coming forward, this was sort of the poster child. Since we can't go after all of them, we looked at this one as one to focus our attention on. And and the neighbors really wanted us to join with them. So we did. That's wonderful. So, so Mary, as you said, the Board of Supervisors approved this project by 3-2 vote, despite overwhelming opposition from the local community. Since the board approved it, other facts have come to light about some of the interests of individual supervisors in the cannabis industry that call to light kind of the fairness and the independence and impartiality of their judgment here. Can you talk a little bit about why your group is concerned on the, the politics here, on, on the vote? Sure. It's come to light. There were rumors abounding prior to the appeal hearing, even, that Supervisor Bowen's immediate family, his son, was a stakeholder in this project. And we tried to follow up on those rumors. And this was well before the appeal hearing that we started hearing this. We tried to follow up on it, but it was unsubstantiated rumor. So we didn't really have anything to go on. A member of Citizens for Sustainable Humble asked during the appeal hearing if anybody had, any of the supervisors had family members involved, would they recuse themselves of the vote? And that question was completely ignored. It was also asked if anyone, any of the board members had any projects up for approval dependent on wells or generators, would they recuse themselves of the vote? Once again, crickets. But of course, it came to light afterwards that Michelle Bushnell was connected to three larger projects that were up for approval, pending for approval, and ended up getting approval shortly after this vote from the zoning administrator without even going before the planning commission. So those two pieces of information were definitely concerning, given that this project seemed to be getting special treatment and advocacy from the planning department. And the zoning administrator, too, I I believe is the planning director, John Ford, who is hired by the Board of Supervisors, and they have the ability to remove him if if they don't like his work. So another reason to be concerned. Larry. Yeah, I, I, I want to tie this together for our listeners because we've been talking about this a lot and, it, and there seems to be some confusion. The reason why this is such a big issue is that the board did vote on this. No one recused themselves and the board vote was three to two. Had Rex recused himself, as I believe he should have appropriately done, because of a direct financial interest in this through his son, that would have been a 2-2 vote. It wouldn't have passed, and the appeal would have been upheld. So it was a pivotal decision. I think a big mistake on the county's part. County council gave bad advice, in my opinion, letting this go forward. And here we are in litigation, and this is this is kind of the natural consequence of the government pushing forward something that is controversial and poorly planned. We we have this tied up in court. So let let's start with the first lawsuit 
that you've brought. When was this lawsuit filed, Larry? And what did you allege in this lawsuit? Well, you know, I can't come up with the original date. I'm sorry, I don't have that in front it, of me. But... It was April 8th. April 8th, oh, okay. we filed. Basically, it surrounds that the county has not lived up to its responsibility to uphold the California Environmental Quality Act, or CEQA, Initial Statement Mitigated Negative Declaration, or ISMND, which is what they did. And we believe we've got a very, we made a very strong case to the court that a EIR was required with the first, you know, with the first project, or that's what our first lawsuit contends. I, I will interject here as an environmental lawyer, there is a big difference between an EIR and an initial statement slash mitigated negative declaration, ISMND, as, as we said on this show. An ISMND means that they have not taken a full and fair look at all the potential environmental impacts. It, it is a very skimpy document compared to environmental impact report. There isn't the same sort of response to comment. There isn't the same sort of opportunity for public participation in government through the use of an ISMND. And this is something that we've seen throughout cannabis approvals is the widespread use of this relatively skimpy document to approve really impactful new development out way in the, the the hinterlands, right? This is not this is not some grow that was established out in Elk River or something like that on on some historic agricultural site. This was multiple greenhouses spread out across four different greenhouse areas on a meadow above the Eel River. Just a, a pretty wild place to to put such a, a, an industrial grow operation. And even more wild, in, in Epic's opinion, when we joined with Citizens for Sustainable Humboldt and the North Coast Environmental Center and other groups in, in opposing this project before the Board of Supervisors. So we filed this initial lawsuit, and now you are going back to court again. Mary, why are you going back to court? What is forcing your hand to to file a second case? Well, as things have developed, construction activities have ensued. We have filed for a, a motion for TRO and preliminary injunction, and that was being heard. We were right in the middle of, of getting a decision handed down about the preliminary injunction. We'd had the hearing with the judge. 26 days went by, and then we got news that the judge was recusing herself because one of the declarants in the lawsuit happens to be a colleague on the Humboldt Superior Court bench. And it took that long for Judge Neal to read through the material and figure that out. So that ostensibly could be seen as an advantage to the applicant, and things are stalled out while we get assigned another judge. But during these hearings, it came to light, it was admitted by the applicant as an argument as to why they shouldn't be stopped with a preliminary injunction, that they had received grading permits from the county and they were going to start growing in the spring in hoop houses and they were going to lose millions of dollars if they weren't allowed to to grow. This was stated in, in court which is completely outside of the project description as it has been approved in the ISMND. The project was for rigid, hard-sided greenhouses that would capture rainwater for fire suppression 
ostensibly hoop houses can't do that, and especially not if they're just going in in the spring. They're also on the building, the grading permits that were issued by the county, it shows a shortcut road that crosses my neighbor's property, which when she lodged a formal complaint about it, about this trespass across her property last year, the route was changed by the county and the applicant to show a longer route. So the, to me, that's an admission that they recognized, okay, we, we can't use this road. Well, not only have they been using it, I've documented them using this access route, trespassing across the neighbor's property. The county as, as shows this route in, in the documents that were drawn up for the grading permit. Also, the grading permits for slopes in excess of 15% grade. And the soils report was waived for these permits inexplicably. We had to file, when all this information came to light, we filed a a Public Records Act request for all the communication about this that the county had amongst themselves giving these building permits. And there's a request for the soils report to be waived, which I'm kind of shocked. I'm six years into the process I had to get one of my conditions was to get a soils report for my septic system. I'm still waiting for that. So which speaks to the holdup, how long the process takes. So they they got the magic wand waved at why. So there's all these things happening. And and we, we asked to add another claim to the existing litigation to make it easier for everybody and more consolidated. And we were flatly refused and dismissed. And so we were forced to file another lawsuit. Right. And Mary brings forward the, the, the real key thing that's come up in this, just like would come up if they did a full EIR, disclosure of all the facts. So as we've gone through this legal process, the county has begrudgingly finally given us some documents. They haven't given them all to us, but they've given us some. And during that process of discovery, we found how the abuse of the conditional use permit has been going on. And this is the issue of fairness that we keep talking about, because we know all of us know people who've gone through this process with the county and have been held to the letter of their conditional use permit. Any violation, they get fined, they get stopped, not this project. This project, across the board, violating its conditional use permit, the, the tenants of it, and then been allowed to just go ahead and change everything, you know, and trespass on the neighbor's property. And, and yeah. It seems particularly curious that the, the county is trying to bend over backwards for this mega grow, as we like to call these very, very large grow operations, given the the dire straits of the local cannabis economy already. So we have an out-of-county Florida-based octogenarian who is trying to put forward this project, trying to make millions of dollars, as, as he says. That's why he needs to get the operation in and start growing in hoop houses immediately. Meanwhile, we have our local mom and pop farmers who can barely survive because the price of weed in California has absolutely crashed. It it it's very sad the the seeming priorities of the county that those with the largest coffers appear to get beneficial treatment. You're listening to the Eco News Report talking about the Rolling Meadows litigation. That is that large grow operation outside of McCann, California. 
And that's another issue that you bring up, Tom, that, that's confused the public. The public wants to know, why are you guys making such a big issue about the hoop houses? Well, we are because originally these were supposed to be rigid greenhouses, not hoop houses, and they were to be used for rainwater catchment for as a big component of how they were going to water all this. The and also houses, fire suppression. Right. We're, and fire worried, suppression. we're very worried about fires starting, as much human activity in the wildlands. And if they are operating, they've never gotten a will-serve letter from PG&E. It's very questionable whether or not they can get a PG&E job. So any operations that occurred would very probably necessitate generator use far in excess of what the permits that were issued that stated it was all for emergency uses only when the power went out. So now we're talking about a completely different project that is running off generators in the wildlands with very long response times, over 50 minutes from the local fire protection district. Very narrow, rough rural road, too. Very difficult for fire vehicles to respond to a fire. And Larry, one thing that you said at the beginning of the call was it, the, the North Coast Environmental Center does a lot with its small staff. But there are just so many of these grows that are getting approved. So you need to be strategic in trying to figure out the, the most egregious grows, the ones that are kind of examples of bad practices that are occurring throughout the program. And let's let's just tick through the ways that Rolling Meadows represents all of those worst things. So we have we have likely hydrologic connection to the Eel River. Can one of you talk about that? Sure. They were approved with a project with three wells. They want to pull 4.6 million gallons out of them. That's their estimated usage for cultivation in in these greenhouses in pots, even though they they got the square footage because of the so-called prime ag, existence of prime ag soils. And there's never been an analysis of whether or not these wells are, in fact, hydrologically connected to the Eel River, which... It wouldn't seems like to allay the fears of the community and to get a scientific analyzed baseline. What's the big deal? Let's figure this out. And so we know what the carrying capacity is of the watershed and what can be drawn out of the wells. What what is realistic to be grown that won't impact surface waters and, and the public trust? So that's been one of the issues. And you mentioned prime egg soils. So this also brings up what we've called the prime egg loophole. So when when environmental groups were initially engaging with the county and trying to shape a, a cannabis ordinance that would be protective, one thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to keep operations like this out of wild places, wild lands. And so to do that, we wanted to try to limit it to already existing agricultural areas. And, and so we have this incentive for the use of prime ag soils. And, and one thing that's happened is that by incentivizing the use of prime ag soils, what this has effectively done is it's caused soil scientists to, to go out and find all sorts of new prime ag soils way, 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 way out there in areas that we never had anticipated that hadn't been used for traditional agricultural use before and and so now we have new operations being proposed in areas that were never really contemplated by by the public when we approved our ordinances in the first place. Right, the county put forward maps that that indicated where the prime ag soils were, 
And we all sort of signed off on that because it really did limit the footprint of where these operations could take place. And like you said, now all of a sudden they are turning up prime ag soils everywhere. And so the, the intent of the ordinance is completely subverted simultaneously. Now we have these huge, large industrial projects that are of a scale that's not sustainable or intended um, out in remote areas. Mary, I, I know that that you are living with the effects of large-scale industrial grows already in your neighborhood in McCann. Can you tell us about kind of the other issues that you're seeing, you're experiencing with these mega-grow operations in your neighborhood? Sure. Just recently, there was a, a pretty amazing example of what happens when you permit such large operations in an area where the infrastructure is not capable of sustaining the scale. There's another large farm here that was approved and started operating last year, Black Bear, on the side of the river in McCann. And when the neighbors were negotiating the terms, because it's a very large operation, they were concerned about some of the issues it presented, one of them being the access. The neighbors were assured in writing that should the bridge go out in the unlikely event that the McCann Bridge floods, they would cease operations and remove all product from on site and not operate. Well, that unlikely event occurred twice already this fall. And not only were they operating, they were posting pictures of it to social media, taking the boat. There's When the bridge floods, there's a small 16-foot aluminum boat with an outboard motor that's operated by the county road crew. It's county road the county has to operate this boat. And so Black Bear was not, is not allowed to use this boat. Well, they had upward close to 50 employees on this boat during some of the first floods, which were very dangerous to be on the Eel River, especially after a drought when all the debris is getting washed down. They had all these workers, foreign workers. Many of them did not speak English. They didn't want to wear their life jackets the county ferry boat operators told me they were afraid that some of them might were going to fall in. They're going to have to rescue them out of the river. Additionally, there was a private security team hired out of L.A. that were here armed with AR-15 assault rifles and high-capacity magazines, wearing military tactical gear, guarding this operation that wasn't even supposed to be happening. They were also taking the boat. They were in the ferry parking lot. The, the day the bridge went out and were questioning the ferry boat operators about when they were going to put the, the boat in, which was a little bit intimidating as unknown men with assault rifles questioning you. <laughs> right. And it, <laughs> it like so, so many of these operations, it's unknown what the actual purpose of these security guards is. Is it to protect the workers? Is it to keep the workers on site? What, what is their actual role? So the, the neighbors, and it's on the shoulders of the neighbors to report these activities because of the lack of oversight of the counties. It's impossible in these remote areas. The county road crew, the boat operators, I had to tell them that they Black Bear wasn't allowed to use the boat. I guess it spread like wildfire through the county road crew department. And on the second day, when 56 passengers were being ferried, which is beyond the carrying capacity of the boat, Michelle Bushnell came down to inform the ferry boat operator that, yes, he should stop giving them rides. They could have their permit pulled for using the boat like this. And so that that activity ceased, although the next day 
the armed security guards came down and asked for a boat ride and he felt compelled to give them a ride because they were veterans and it was veterans day and they had guns. So <laughs> that's a way to compel anybody to do anything. Um, so the county <laughs> yeah, so got an the, AR-15 the strapped to your back that, that gets you a little <laughs> extra respect. Huh? Yeah. So this is a county operated boat funded by Humboldt County taxpayer dollars. Um, and what I found interesting, because, of course, we have had a lawyer communicate with the county about this activity outside of their project description. And a communication from the county to Black Bear was forwarded to us, informing them of an inspection within 48 hours and that they had to have all their product off site. But they inexplicably suggested that they could use the Alder Point access, which is the only access out of McCann when the bridge is flooded, but it would go, it goes through Rolling Meadow Ranch property, through locked gates, and ostensibly via a hostile trespass route that's the subject of pending litigation. So I was dumbfounded that not only would they be allowed this, suggested it by the county, I, I, I was like, why... What's going on? Why the special treatment? Why why even the suggestion that they could do this? So we we now have the first lawsuit and we now have a second lawsuit against the Rolling Meadows project. What are you hoping to achieve with these lawsuits? What are you asking the judge for immediately here, Larry? Well, obviously we want the full EIR to be done. That's that's our that's our number one. We want them to prepare and circulate a legally adequate EIR. So I want to make that clear, too, because not some slipshod document that they call an EIR, but we want the full legal version of it. And we want an order vacating all post-approval project changes. So all of these things they've let them get away with, we want all of that stuff stopped and we want that undone. At well, least until it gets heard before the judge. I, I I wish you the best of luck there. Enforcing our environmental laws is so important. So I really appreciate Citizens for Sustainable Humboldt and the North Coast Environmental Center and Redwood Region Audubon Society, who is another one of your co-plaintiffs. I know litigation is expensive and you are you are trying to force the government to follow the law. How can people help your cause? How can people help the litigation here? They can donate money to the Citizens for Sustainable Humboldt to help them pay the, the costs of this. You can send that money to the NEC and we'll forward it to them, or you can send it directly to them. All right. And if people are interested in staying up to date with what goes on in this case, what is the best way to do that? The Eco News publication and the website, the Environmental Center's website. YourNEC.org? Right. All right. Wonderful. YourNEC.org. Any last thoughts for our listeners, Larry or Mary? I, w- I would just, it's tough times in Humboldt County. There's a, many of us small legacy cultivators have been going through this process for a long time. And I would really like to see our leaders support everyone so that everyone gets a piece of the pie, not just concentrate the the resources in, in control of the few that have connections to their elected officials that others of us don't. Right. I would amplify that. The, the, the longtime 
local people who are small, struggling, trying to feed their families versus an out-of-state billionaire from Florida who is given preferential treatment. That, that's what's got to change. That's what I hope changes in all this, every, a level playing field for everybody. Well, thank you, Larry and Mary, for joining the Eco News Report, and thank you for bringing this litigation. It is very important. Uh, this has been another episode of the Eco News. Join us next week on this time and channel for more environmental news from the North Coast of California.